Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and with wicked hands have crucified and slain. The silliest thing that has ever hatched up in the mind of a man was that Jesus Christ was just a good man. If he were just a good man, he w- that's just impossible. Everybody likes Jesus today, and they'll do everything about him except listen to him and bow to him and obey him. But that's an absolutely impossible situation for Jesus Christ got exactly what is coming to him when men with wicked hands took him and nailed him to a tree. For he is God Almighty. He's either a madman that should have been crucified or he's either God Almighty in the flesh who should have been received who should have been worshipped, who should have been listened to, who should have been obeyed. There's no way on earth to explain American so-called Christianity except to say it's physical impossibility. There's just one or two attitudes that are consistent. Either hate Jesus for the madman he is and how he tried to hoodwink a world of mankind are loving and worshiping and serving. He's either God in the flesh or he's the worst madman that ever lived. There is no in-between. America has sinned more against God's testimony about Jesus Christ than any other nation since time began. No wonder that America for some years now has become the land of sudden death. Those who count figures, analyze situations, inform us that in the United States of America, Every time two people die, one of them dies a sudden death. Dies without time to make preparation for his long home. Airplanes crash. People start across the street, never get there. People burst their brains out on a bathtub. People dying all about us suddenly. Many of them we call accidental deaths. But in God's world, of course, there are no accidents. And it is a solemn thing to face the fact as I leave a congregation and go elsewhere to remember that I've been preaching most of my ministry in a land where God Almighty brains action many a time 
and sends men out into eternity who have been often reproved and who meet that reproof by stiffening and hardening themselves against God. And God says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy. Since Adam's time, nobody's ever been a guilty sinner. Adam started the ball rolling when he admitted what he'd done, but laid the blame on his wife. And he hurled his situation back in the hands of God and sought to make God responsible for his estranged condition by saying, The woman thou gavest me, she did so and so, and I listened to her, and after all, you're to blame. You ought never to have given me the woman in the first place. From that hour to this, every unsaved man tries his dead level best to put the blame for his lost, undone, ruined, obnoxious to hell condition back in the laps of Almighty God. That's the reason God hears so many people who won't keep telling them they can't. They are different people, and all of God's reproof is the act of a monster God warning and threatening people who are after all in a bad shape, but they're not responsible for it themselves. Either the wife or somebody is the reason they're still in a state of willful unbelief and on their road to hell. There is just one controversy between God and sinful men. And that's the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Bible is crystal clear. God's just got one little matter that he constantly brings before you. The controversy between God and man is not sin now. For God understands that and he's done something about it. The controversy between you and a holy God is the fact that you thus far, with your eyes wide open, maybe you've made a profession of faith and hiding behind that, you've joined the church and hiding behind that, but you've never come under to God's throne and sanctified Him as Lord in your heart which God Almighty demands of every human being and which He requires. And men have been sending God a message back ever since the gospel was planted in this country as it has never been planted in any country on top side of God's earth. God's been having to listen to men and women. We will not have your son to reign over us. 
Nobody in this country has got any objection to Jesus being a Savior. The issue in this country is Jesus being Lord. And thus we've had a gospel that denies His Lordship and is sending people to hell from our churches with the name of Jesus on their lips. But with Jesus Christ not enshrined as absolute Lord of their lives. That's the conflict of this hour. That's the conflict of this hour. Oh, what a conflict it is. I seem to shut my eyes and close everything out. And I can hear the multitudes of people today. Not in so many words, but in all of our actions. Sending God a message we just plain will not have your son to have his rightful place, the place you've ordained to have in our lives. I sat down the years ago in a hotel room with a man that God used as he never used any man, I think, in America, dear old Mordecai Ham, prophet of God. How God did use him and I said, Brother Ham, give the young preacher the message for today. And he said, Brother Barnum, the message for today is, who is Jesus? said, it's always been the message. There'll never be any other. We must stick to it. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? I received a compliment years ago in Binghamton, New York. A man was criticizing me and he passed me the best compliment I've ever received. He said, I'm not coming back to hear him. You hear him once. You hear all he's got to say. Well, what else is worthwhile talking about to men and women? who do not have the Lord except to just pressing the one thing that counts, Jesus Christ, by God's eternal decree, in virtue of his life laid down, is Lord. Bow down to him. That's the starting point. No use to talk about anything else till we get the right start. And I come tonight with a warning message. There are some peculiar things about 13th Street Baptist Church, but most of them I think are very good. And I know Henry Mahan doesn't have all truth and neither do I. But I just bet you I'm not speaking to anybody here tonight who hadn't been faced time after time with the truth of God's testimony about who Jesus Christ is and what response God requires of men and women as they face Jesus Christ 
in the gospel and in the written word of God. Hear me? Listen to me. It is my high privilege and has been most of my ministry to go to churches and cities where they have never heard anything that sounds like the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. God have mercy on anybody in Ashland, Kentucky that goes to hell. And God have mercy on anybody that ever attends the services here and finally winds up in hell. How many stripes you'll have only God knows. For to whom much is given, much is required. And I come knowing that this is my last message. been here so many times. It's in the laps of God, whether it will back or not. We don't know about tomorrow. And I know that the gospel that preached after I'm gone, but a man can't help it his last time. He says, Oh, let me be faithful to warn people of the high cost you're likely to pay for continued hardening yourself against the reproof of God concerning his son. In God's name, get out of your hiding place. I've been doing my best to say one thing here. Try to rob you of every piece you have in some doctrine. Or if you could hide behind the doctrine, you'll sure do that. Or behind some individual... Boy, if you could, you'd do that. And just bring out in the open. Boy, as a poor preacher can handle the Word of God, having to trust the Holy Spirit. And just keep hammering on this. That if you go to hell, you'll not go as an innocent victim of a monster God. But you'll go to hell as a will. Refusal to listen to God's testimony and act upon it concerning his son. If I believed that sinners were innocent victims, I'd never preach another sermon. I'd curse God if that'd do any good. But this Bible says we are not innocent victims. We are willful rebels against Almighty God's son what he's declared him to be. And there's nothing on God's earth that'll bring out the deep hatred in men's hearts. There's nothing on God's earth that'll separate the men from the boys today. Quite so much as this business of just keep looking men and women in the face. And here says, there's what God says about it. This is the son of my love in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. America, the land of sudden death. As we were coming on, my wife said, the Marine Band's in town. I know nothing about it. I may pull a bone or talk about something I don't know. But said they're going to play over at some high school or somewhere tonight, you know. Oh, 
the spirit of rebellion against God's Son in America. The best television shows are on Wednesday night. Most of the prize fights are on Wednesday night. The best other television shows that tell me are on Sunday night. This generation of men and women, they join the churches of America and working for the inside are doing that that level best to banish Jesus Christ from America. They're doing. The war's on. The war's on. There's a war going on now between the communist nations who claim to be anti-God and Britain and France and America and Canada who are for God but against His Son. And in between is the Christian who's seeking to say a word about the Son and the Christian who knows that America that prints the name of in God with trust on its coins opens Congress with prayer and dedicates every building by asking the preacher. Now they have the preachers to bless all of everything. And yet this nation of ours is anti-Christian. It's not anti-God. We call on God when we're in a picklement. But the Bible says if we do not honor the Son, we cannot honor God. I'm trying to say now that we are living in the most terrible times of this earth's experience because men with their lips talk about our dependence in God. But we will not listen to his son. And that's the controversy of this hour. And the wrath of God is being stored upon men and women who have the son constantly placed before them and his claims pressed upon them. And the warning of the Old Testament in the New is in the language of my text, he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Men do harden themselves. Lost man, you've been hiding behind something, laying your lost condition on God a long time. Every time you face his claims about his son, and you find your nice little refuge to keep from having to face it. You harden yourself. And the next time it's easier to find the cave. And the next time it's still easier. And that program will land you one day right in the wrath of God who has faithfully promised that for men and women who keep on reproving Keep on hardening themselves against his reproof. They'll suddenly be destroyed. I challenge you, ladies and gentlemen, to find in this book where God's got but one issue with this generation. He's not trying to close up all the bare joints. He's presenting the claims of his son. He's not trying to make this a better world in which to live. He says he's going to burn it up. 
He's presenting the claims of his son. That's the only thing. He just keeps us. He won't change this subject. He's monotonous. This is my son. What think ye of him? What think ye of him? Whose son is it? The Bible will say, what have you done about him? What think ye of him? This is my son. Listen to him. Listen to him. And people get him a little refuge to get away from the insistent, clamorous voice of the Holy Spirit. Thus they harden themselves. Houston Yellow run me crazy when I see people deliberately harden themselves against the Spirit of God, taking the truth of God about His Son, and pressing the claims of Jesus Christ. If you know any other thing the Holy Spirit does, except take the truth of God's testimony about Jesus Christ and keep pressing that truth and that Son on sinful people, you come tell me about after service. When He's God, He'll not talk of Himself, but He'll talk of Him who is God manifest in the flesh. And men harden themselves. Men keep on hardening themselves. And I used to, couldn't stand. I said, my white people harden themselves against the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do they do it? I was out in Lubbock, Texas in the last two, three years from a fifth campaign out there. Hadn't been back in 27 years, I think. And I, when I got out there, sitting right down on the front seat every night, was a man that uh, uh, I, I asked about him. He was paralyzed, couldn't hear a word, and uh, but he'd, they'd bring him to service every night. Twenty-seven years before, I saw that man go through a meeting, and uh, several times I saw him under such deep conviction that he'd have to be carried out by two men and driven home. One night, the Spirit of God dealt with him so tremendously that they had to have a stretcher and an ambulance to get him home. But, brother, he doubled up his fist and spat on his hands, and he put on a good battle, brother, and the pity about it is he won. And one night, the last night, I saw that happen. He was stricken in a paroxysm of the Holy Ghost, and his body was paralyzed. And for 27 years, he'd just been a man, couldn't speak, couldn't do anything, eat like a hog, couldn't hear the message, couldn't understand it if he did, just existing. God struck him. You tell me, well, if the Holy Spirit would strive with people, they'd be saved. You don't know your Bible, brother. I don't understand it. I can't handle it theologically. Thank God I don't have to. But not everybody the Spirit deals with surrenders. Most of them up till now hang on for dear life and succeed in resisting the Holy Ghost claims about Jesus Christ until they die and they go to hell. And some of them resist Him and harden themselves until God snaps them out and sends them into an eternity without any chance to prepare. I'll never forget the man in Detroit, Michigan. He was a terrible fellow. He delighted in insulting preachers and Christian people. And he delighted in asking people to leave his house and the demanding that preachers leave him alone. And he could cuss the church and everything till he flew in the face. He had a godly Christian wife. 
and a little three-and-a-half-year-old beautiful girl, cold, uh, curly, golden-colored hair, pink cheeks. And one morning after I preached on a Sunday morning service, I was reading the people down at the front, and I felt somebody tugging at my coattail, and I looked around, and the little three-and-a-half-year-old girl was standing there, and she held up her arms, and I, I took her in my arms, and she put her little fat arms around my neck and just broke my heart. As with her arms around my neck, the little three-and-a-half-year-old girl, they know a lot more than we think to do. She sobbed out in her little baby language, Oh, Bubba Barnard, I want my daddy to get saved. Bubba Barnard, I want my daddy to get saved. Bubba Barnard, I want my daddy to get saved. And her mother came and took her out of my arms, and she was weeping. And I said, Do your best, sister, to get make it convenient for your husband to listen. I was on the radio at 3 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, and this man would listen to you preach on the radio. wouldn't darken the door of a church house, uh, but he, he had a phobia or something, a habit. He'd listen on the radio. And I said, do your best. Uh, see to it, he listens to me. I'm going to send him a message, and it did come to pass. I found out that he did listen to me, and we had the service on the radio, the song service, and I preached a little while, and then I said, I beg the pardon of the radio audience for two three minutes, I, I want to send a personal message, and I think it's a message from God. And I said, I have hopes and reason to believe that somebody's listening to my voice now. I'm going to tell you what happened this morning. I think it is God's last message to you. I said this morning, your little curly-haired, beautiful girl, gift of God, crawled up in my arms and put her arms around my neck and sobbed out her cry, oh, Bubba Bun. I want my daddy to get saved. I want my daddy to get saved. I want my daddy to get saved. And I said, Mister, you know who I'm talking to. You cuss preachers. You've ordered them out of the home. You've uh, you've been proud of how tough you are. You won't come to God's house. You 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 try to be smart about it. And I said, with all of my heart, I believe this is God speaking to you through the broken-hearted. Hear this boy, tearful voice of your little girl. And I demand that you get down on your face before that radio and repent toward God. Come unto Jesus Christ. You know what he did? He turned the radio off, got his hat, hurled a curse at me, shouted at his wife, opened the door, went through it, slammed it, cursing, and went to the nearest beer tavern. And before I got back home, where I'd been entertained after the radio broadcast, somebody shot him to death, and he went out yonder into the hands of the God who cussed, who had spoken to him through the tears of his three-and-a-half-year-old baby girl, hardened himself, resisted the claims of God in Jesus Christ, and became another example of Proverbs 29 and 1, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Ladies and gentlemen, in my final message to you tonight, I won't call your attention again to the fact that you're dealing with a God who in the past has killed people, and he's still killing people. There are no accidents in, the, in God's world. God the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ is a God who kills people. 
His destruction he's talking about in this text is just getting rid of as far as his life's concerned and putting out yonder where there is no remedy. Sudden death. Sudden death comes from the hands of the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, my friends, this God who warns he that being often reproved, hardness his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy is the same God whose I've called your attention time after time here. The Bible says that he destroyed every human being in the world in flood time days except eight souls. And the scientists tell us there were more people alive in the world then than there are now. It is almost unbelievable. No wonder they, they're shooting at the New Test, Old Testament now that talks about a God who in his wrath brought a flood and drowned perhaps three billion people at one time. But that's the God of this Bible. That's the God who hung his Son on the cross. That's the God who's turned over all judgment to his Son. That's the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the God of the Bible, rain fire and brimstone down out of heaven and utterly destroyed in the face from the face of the earth so that you can't find out where they were. Two, two great cities and the suburbs, Sodom and Gomorrah, literally destroyed the city and everybody's in it except Lot and his family. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to me. The God of the Bible is a God who kills people. He kills people. He kills people. Mordecai Ham was in Oakmulgee, Oklahoma, my wife's town, many years ago. In those days, ever, all the merchants were asked to turn out and they'd have services in the daytime. All the stores would be closed. And 40 of the prominent merchants of that little city, perhaps 25,000 people, boycotted the meeting and did a lot of talking against it. And Mr. Ham got up in the pulpit and prophesied that within 12 months' time, all 40 of them would die a terrible death and be in hell. And you can go to Oak Mulga now and find out. It happened. And that city's never got over it yet. This poor preacher who preaches to you now has left a trail of death all over this country. Every place I've ever been where I've seen God really work, I've also seen sudden death. I tell you, my friends, I can't explain it. But where the Spirit of God is pleased to reprove men, and men are pleased to harden, themselves. God Almighty is pleased to bring terrible death on men who would destroy the testimony of God about His Son. Oh, my soul! This is a land where God Almighty is destroying men and women by visiting them with death and hurling them out into eternity where there is no remedy. I don't apologize for this book, brother. It's God's book. I never have joined the course of apologizing for the God of the Old Testament. I never have apologized for preaching out of a book that tells us about a God who killed three billion people at one time. It's just so, brother, and it stumbles me, and it staggers me, but it's the truth of the Word of God. And if we were right, right, 
we'd be a less, little less free to trifle with the threats and warnings and invitations and commands and demands of a God who's got the power and has the willingness to wipe three billion people off the face of the earth at one stroke. I tell you, he's to be feared. And when he warns people, he's to be listened to. And when he directs our attention to his son, He's to be heeded, ladies and gentlemen. It is a costly, dangerous thing to harden yourself against the claims of God for His Son, for His Son, for His Son. You know, you're in the hands tonight of a God about whom the Bible says our breath is in His hands. You're in the hands of God tonight about whom the Bible says we live and we move and we have our being in Him. This book actually teaches, that's the 17th chapter of Acts, that I live in Him. I couldn't live. He took His hand off of me. I, I, I move. I couldn't move. He took his hand off of me. I couldn't exist if he took his hand off of me. I tell you, my friends, that's pretty solemn. This Bible says I'll not get my next breath unless he gives it to me. This Bible says I can't move a step except in him. God, help us all that God would have to do to destroy a rebel who's hardening himself against God's Son. Just not to give you your next breath. Just take his hand off of you. And you drop into hell. You drop into hell. I used to preach when I was a young fellow. Wonderful how God overlooks our ignorance. I used to preach that men ought to be sent to hell. But I learned a long time ago I never have preached to anybody that ought to be sent to hell. People I preach to ought to be in hell already. Ought to be in hell already. And the people I preach to, the only reason they're not in hell is because the God who holds them in the hollow of his hand in mercy and patience and long-suffering doesn't cut them off in their rebellion. But it's a fearful thing to live and move and exist and be absolutely dependent on the one whose testimony about his son men and women refuse to heed. It's a terrible thing. Some of these days God's going to answer your prayer. Leave me alone. Don't bother me. I got a living to make, and I got this, that, and the other, and I don't want somebody constantly presenting this Jesus to me, demanding that I come under to Him. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. On the 22nd night of December, in a northern city, we stood for an invitation in an evangelistic campaign. And I remember right down on the fourth row of pews, on the corner 
There was a young lady and sitting next to her, an older lady. And as the choir started to sing, I saw the older lady lay her hand gently on the shoulder of the young woman. And I don't know what she said, but I can imagine. And the young woman, I could tell, deeply resented it, said something back to her. Eyes were flash, flashing, the face was flush. And the Spirit of God said for me to go. It's a high, big old tabernacle, a high platform. I had to walk down some steps, and I did. And the Spirit didn't tell me what to say. And as I was walking, he just told me to go. And I, 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 I had my eyes almost closed, walking there to her and saying, Lord, you told me to go. What's your man saying? I get there. And it turned out he didn't want me to say anything. For as I got nearly to the young lady, I sensed it, and I opened my eyes and looked up and looked into her face. And before I could say a word, she said, For Christ's sake, leave me alone. And for his sake, I'll leave you alone. I mean as a devil, but if you could convince me that Jesus would be glorified and be for his sake, I'd try to do most anything. And I'm looking in your face, honey. If you dead sure want, want to be left alone for Christ's sake, that's the only thing to do is just leave you there. And I bowed and I said, all right. And I turned and walked back and continued the invitation. And directly she stormed out of the building. I never saw her again. On the first day of January, she and her young man that she was engaged to be married to got in her little coupe and started to cross the traffic of that city to have New Year's dinner with some friends. En route, their car had a head-on collision with another car. There were five people in the other car. They weren't scratched. Her young man friend wasn't hurt. She was thrown out with a broken neck. She was dead when they got to her. The paper published that Miss So-and-so had met an accidental death in a car accident, but it wasn't an accident. I'll tell you exactly what happened. In the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, at the 16th verse, the Lord Jesus commissioned the 70 to go out and talk about him. And he told them in the 16th verse, He that heareth you, heareth me. And he that despises, treats lightly you, despises, treats lightly me. And he that treats lightly me, treats lightly him that sent me. As God is my Lord and my judge, when I walked out of that platform and walked down to say a word as the Spirit of God gave me utterance to that young woman a few nights before, I didn't walk alone. Ladies and gentlemen, every child of God who witnesses the Lordship and Saviorhood of Jesus Christ and curses His claims and His rights on men and women doesn't do it alone. And when I press the claims of Christ on men, you're not just rejecting me, you're rejecting Almighty God. And when that young woman turned to me and said, For Christ's sake, leave me alone, she didn't say it simply to me. She said it to him. 
And on the first day of January, he answered her request, and he left her alone. And that wound her up because we live, and we move, and we have our being in him. And when he takes his hand off of us, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. He that being often reproved, hard with his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Dear Brother D.L. Moody preached, he didn't know it, but he preached his last sermon. As it turned out, that was the last time he ever preached. He was stricken and hurried back to Chicago and died. And that blessed man of God preached what turned out to be his last sermon in the municipal auditorium in Kansas City, Missouri. And he preached on excuses. And as only he, I suppose, could, he went into the excuses that men offer as to why they will not receive God's Son as their Lord and Savior. And when he'd come to the invitation, God knew it was going to be his last sermon. I guess he didn't. And he gave this unusual invitation that I'm going to pass on to you. And it'll be my pressing hope that you'll listen to it. Mr. Moody said, my message is done. And now I want you people to act I want every person here to act. And I want to know how many in this auditorium will send God a message. Dear God in heaven, on this, and he gave the date, in the municipal auditorium in Kansas City, Missouri, I have heard your humble servant, D.L. Moody, preach on excuses as to why men will not come to Christ. And I have heard your humble servant demand and invite that right here and now I bow to your Son and receive him as my Lord and my Savior. God in heaven, I will not do it. At least that'd be consistent, wouldn't it? That'd be honest, wouldn't it? I just want you to know, God, I don't believe all this Bible business. I'm making it all right. I'm not fixing to receive. As my own know, as the song, as all I need, I do not propose to receive your son. Mr. Moody said, every one of you, who will be honest and consistent, let's be done with this dilly-dallying. 
and you'll send God a message. Let that teach it. This is final. This is my ballot. This is my vote. This is my decision. I will not receive your son. So I want you to stand to your feet. Nobody would stand. You wouldn't do that tonight, would you? Yeah? Then he said, all right. If you won't do that, how many of you will send God this message? God in heaven, on this night, the name, the date, I've heard your humble servant, D.L. Moody, preaching in this Auditorium in Kansas City, Missouri. He's preached on the reasons men give why they'll not come and receive your son. And he's invited and demanded that right here and now, I receive your son as my Lord and my Savior. How many of you send him a message? God in heaven, I will. I will. I will receive him. Thank God he came into his own, and his own received him not. That's the tune of this age. But to as many as received him, to them gave he the right to be called the sons of God. We're going to stand and sing. And on this night, the 18th of November, the year of our Lord, 1962, you heard mighty poor preacher, but a preacher. I tried to get anybody to bow to me tonight, but I tried to bring you a warning about what it costs to keep on refusing to listen my God. And I invite you tonight. I press hard upon you tonight. Will you receive God's Son with the print of the nails in His hands, with the marks of the cross on Him, I lifted up at the right hand of God now, declared to be Lord of all. Will you have him as your Lord? And so many as will, we ask you to walk an aisle and make it public and declare him before men. Let us stand. What are we going to say? Every head, every head bowed and every eye closed. We're going to sing number 225. And now our Father, in the name of Him whom you saved your Son, the Son of your love, you tell men to listen to Him. Oh, in the name of Him who was God manifest in the flesh hanging on a cross. 
a substitute for sin and sinners. In his name, we commit this invitation and we pray if it please you that the Holy Spirit do what I can't do now and press hard upon every individual here the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and bring them to curse it or surrender to him for Jesus' sake. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.stillwater.com swrb.com We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com by phone at 780-450-3730 by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue Edmonton, that's E-D- M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.